a brief definition of sin that he gave you is that sin is at its core any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. And that's affected our intellect, our emotions, that's affected our will, that's affected the deeds we do and why we do them uh, across the board like fully fallen. Like it's affected everything. Uh, and that happened at the beginning, you know. So, like, you know, God creates his very good. He gives them one job. <laughs> There's all them trees. All them trees. Like, go eat all those trees. Especially that tree love. And then, and then the one tree. <laughs> the one tree. Uh, they they, they uh, fall just headlong into it. And that's not about a fruit. Uh, the whole it seems almost like trivial when you put it out like well so you're telling me the whole human race is falling because we ate an apple or like a, a mandarin or whatever it was it had to have been beautiful right <laughs> so at minimum it alluring no it's because it's because they wanted to be God right and at the end of the day that's a pride issue and so like at the root of every one of our sins like we find. Our sin being an affront to God and, and an affront to His glory and an affront to His goodness. Uh, and that doesn't come from outside of us, first and foremost. It comes from where? Inside of us. Right? Like, we sin because we what? At the end of the day, we want to. Like, cause, because in our fallen age, in Adam, Adam, a representative of the human race. Like, we, we see that that has affected even us today. And we see that primarily, uh, in, in Romans 5, uh, as God promised that the, the wages of sin would be death. And so, um, it certainly worked out that way. And so in Romans 5, um, 12, uh, we could we could go there. It's hard. And on a note, side note, in Romans, it's hard to just drop in somewhere. Like it's almost impossible to just drop in at Romans five twelve because he said a lot um, by the time you're in five. And the way Paul works is he builds. Uh, there's a therefore about every five verses, and so he's building a case and an argument. There's a lot going in in every sense, and he's laying out the entirety of the gospel. So what he said prior to chapter five absolutely matters uh, especially like if you went up just even six verses when it says for a while we were still weak at the right time christ died for the who the ungodly uh for one will scarcely die for a righteous person in verse seven though perhaps for a good person one might dare to die but god shows his love for us in this while we were still what sinners okay Okay, Christ died for us while we were still what? Sinners. Sinners. Since therefore we've now been justified by whose blood? Our goodness? By his blood. And how much more shall we be saved uh, by him? So who's saving? He is saving. Jesus is saving us from the what? (laughs) From from what? From the wrath of God. Verse 9. Because that's what's due sin. That puts that on like 10 now. Right? So, let's keep reading that. For if while we were enemies. So we were enemies of God. We were reconciled to God by death of His Son. How much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life? That's beautiful. More than that. 
We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So he's speaking to believers here, right? And this is where he goes. So here's verse 12, and here's kind of our argument that we'll lay out, and then we'll go back through church history and how this has been tested and and battled uh, out sometimes within the church and sometimes, uh, unfortunately, at the highest levels of it. So in verse 12, therefore... So, therefore, is because of everything he just said. So, because we've now received reconciliation. Just as sin came into the world through one man. Who is that one man? Adam. All right. So, Adam is chosen as the representative. Uh, and death through sin. So, so, death happened because of what? Adam's sin. And so, so because of that, death spread to how many? Everyone, because who sinned? All sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there's no law. Now, he's already talked to Jews and Gentiles about how everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, None righteous, no, not one. Uh, Chapter 3, and he's not making new scripture. He's quoting the Old Testament there. Uh, we may go there at some point today. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were sinning. Um, even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a top. All right, so Adam is a what? He's a top. And what that means is he's like a representative. He's something that's showing and pointing us to some, something or someone more. Okay? So, he's a top of one who was to come. That one who was to come was it. So, Jesus is a top of Adam. Okay? So, that's the argument he's working out. Okay? So, Jesus was fully God, fully man. He's speaking to the humanity sense in, in that regard. But the free gift is not the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, that's whose? Adam's. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift. The what kind of gift? <laughs> The free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. All right. So uh, he continues in verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. All right. So what was the after effect of Adam's fall? Condemnation. All right. Uh, so you can fast forward. You know what he's going to say in chapter eight, verse one, in who there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. All right. So but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man. How much more will those who've received the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness Reign in life through the one man who? Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for how many men? All men. So one act of righteousness. That's whose righteousness? Jesus. Whose righteousness is that? This is critical to get. All right. Leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man, and that's not teaching universalism, uh, verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, 
the many will be made righteous. We could stop there and say, how are we declared righteous before God? We know, yes, by faith, but by whose righteousness? By the obedience of Jesus. Of Jesus. Okay. That, that's a verse that you need to set to heart. Because that's something that, that, that we'll encounter in this church history setting in a second that's going to play a major role, right? Like, how can we stand righteous before a holy God? Ultimately, by grace alone, through faith alone, in who alone, according to the what alone, <laughs> scriptures alone, for whose glory alone. All right. And that's what we hold as Protestants, right? So we should be able to look back at church history and see, has that held? Like, has that been a thing? If it went astray, where did it go astray and why did it go astray? Right? We continue in verse 20. Now, the law came into the incre- to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, what also might reign. Grace also might reign through righteousness. And again, whose righteousness? Cross righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our who? Is there any other way? So if all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, none see God, no, not one from Romans 3, right? All stand condemned, whether it's the Jews having the law, all fall short, or men trading the truth of God for a lie. In Romans 1, having seen his majesty in the heavens and the earth and the creator and traded that for images made of, of and by man. Romans 1, again. If that's the case, then we all stand because we are all what? Sinners and guilty. Like... That's not good news. Okay? And so, but when you read that text and you see that by our wanting or by the grace of God? By the grace of God, through faith in who? Jesus. Jesus, All men can be made alive that will believe. It's that in Romans later. And so when we look at this, like this is both a sombering truth and it is the greatest joy. Like we should be jumping. Like as believers, like we're like we celebrate and, and at the same time we stop and we say, oh, my heavens. OK, you saved me, Lord, by grace, the faith in Christ. According to your scriptures, again, when he's, Paul's laying out the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, like, like Jesus died according to the what? <laughs> scriptures. Yeah. And, and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the what? Scriptures, right? Like, so when we're looking at all this and we, we think, wow, what joy we have. What amazing grace we have in Christ. Like, this is power and strength to walk through the darkness, right? Why do we want to walk through the darkness? Why? Why do we, why do we see the darkness and want to run headlong into it? Because we've got the good news. Okay? So, we've heard good news. Right. That good news is the gospel. And if that good news 
Again, it's the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, Romans 1. For all who believe, Jew first and the Gentile, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Like, whoo! Like, we see that. We see the power of the gospel. Romans 10. You're going to see faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word about who? Get Christ specific, right? Uh, God sends the Son. The Son accomplishes salvation. Uh, he ascends to the right hand of the Father and He promises to send His Helper, the Holy Spirit, to us who believe. And as we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, our first impulse and inclination should be to want to run into the world and proclaim that message that's the power of God for salvation. Because we've seen the rescue, right? Like we've tasted and seen how good God is. And we want others to what? To know. To know. All right? Now... We should. We should. We should. Jumping off the rooftops. Jumping off the rooftops. Jumping off the rooftops. If we get it, if we get it. And many days, I'm sorry. No, 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 go, go, go. They do, I really get it. You know, that's God helping me Right. You know, do I really get it? Well, I mean, Paul anticipated that because he just repeated the same thing in different words, like four times in different words. Yeah. Yeah. So who does God send into the world and through the power of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Help understand. <laughs> yes. So we get to play a role in God's rescue mission to the world. Like, that's what this is saying. Like, we get to play a part in God's rescue mission. How will they believe? Unless someone is sent. All right. How will they go? Unless you send them. Right? How, how can they preach a message that they've never heard or understood? How can they then believe if you don't preach the message? So faith comes by hearing and hearing the word about Christ. So we have a message and we're sent to go. And so at the core of this though, right? So, and here's the launch into church history. And here's where it gets fun. All right. So, and tragic, but fun. We, we see our depravity. We see the strength of God's grace. In Romans, Paul anticipates where everybody and their mama are about to go with that. Because you hear the news that if we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, just as the scripture said alone. Like if you went back to chapter 3 alone, 
like verse 4, he's quoting Psalm 51, 4. Verse uh, 10, 11, 12, he's quoting Psalm 14, 1 through 3. Psalm 53, 1 through 3. Ecclesiastes 7, 20 uh, and 13. Uh, he's quoting Psalm 5, 9 uh, and Psalm 143. I mean, Paul is preaching at this point. Verse 14, their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. Psalm 10, 7. Um, he keeps quoting down to 17, the way of peace they've not known, Isaiah 59, 7, 8. Uh, there's no fear of God before their eyes, Psalm uh, 36, 1. And so he is pouring out Scripture through this. Like, God's been saying this the whole time. And so when you hear the message that we can be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, just as the Scripture said, for the glory of God alone. People are going to say that and say, well, if I'm saved by grace alone, why, why can't I, I'll just, why don't I just go ahead and sin? If it's just God's grace is saving me anyway, I'll just go on sinning. That's exactly where Paul goes in chapter 6. First place he goes. So what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And what does he say? No, because grace is the power to not sin. Because you've tasted and seen how good God is. You've seen the cost of sin and the wages of death. You've seen the cross cross paid through his precious blood that was spilled at Calvary. Right? And so because of that, like we above all want to run to the herdmans. Right? Like, we just spent three nights watching this Christmas play, right? And, and this Christmas play is the best Christmas pageant ever. There's some, some, some little wacky theology at the tail end of that. Uh, but there's a message in it, right? That this crazy family comes in uh, and wrecks the Christmas pageant, right? I mean, these are unbelievable. This is a church that's well-polished, well-manicured, uh, prim and proper, right? And then all of a sudden, these herdman kids hear that there's food there, so they run. Like, they run into the church, and then it wreaks havoc everywhere. And the church expects these unbelievers to act as if they are believers. And if sin is what we say it is, is that an inappropriate possibility? Yes. 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 Even modern day, those of us that are in culture, you know, our culture that grew up in church, We've done the same thing. Yes. Yes. We expected that with a historical example here. When Josh and all his brothers came and they train wrecked me as a teacher. <laughs> Y'all, I have never learned so much in that because there were moments where if I would have had a taser, and I say that jokingly, but maybe not. I don't know. There were a few moments where my anger could have burst through the ceiling, right? And I was expecting and demanding in my heart for... Josh, to act as if you were at least concerned, right? The reason I expect that is because I absolutely, utterly failed to realize in those moments the depths of human depravity. 
None of us are as bad as we could be. (laughs) And some may seem worse than others, but all have fallen short of the glory of God. (laughs) Like that's the declaration and the banner. And that night where I was washing his feet in a VBS, like you were there. And my, I mean, I've never cried so much as a human being. Because in that moment, I realized what Christ had done for me. As I snorted pills up my nose and as I blasphemed his name at every single level, as I hated and was hated by some, as I worshipped my God of music and drums to thunderous sounds of praise and blasphemy against his name, as I lusted after every female that walked in front of me, as I fell short of the glory of God, not at some point, but at all points, to the point where even the good things that I did carried ulterior motives, I saw the work of Christ. And if we can but preach that beautiful name and share it with the Joshes and the Herdmans of the world, Trusting the Holy Spirit of God to do the work that we cannot do. Let us spring forth into revival. But revival started for me that night only through repentance. And so throughout church history, we've seen this. It's it's not any new uh, er today. It's still very present. Still so present. Whether it's Pelagius in, in 360 to 420. And he comes out and he's, he's proclaiming, no, dude, there's no total pride. Like, men are neutral. Like, you're born neutral. Right? And if you say that and you hold to that, what do you have to violate? Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, glory of God alone. What are you going to have to violate to hold that position? Okay, why? Because if you're born neutral, then you can attempt to live a righteous life apart from Christ. Like you hold your righteousness in your hand by maintaining it. Okay. It would also mean that anybody that died prior to committing their initial sin steps into heaven not under the work of Christ. And Christ says that all that come to the Father come to so you've destroyed grace. Have you destroyed faith? Yes. You've destroyed Christ alone. And to do that, you had to violate what? Because what does Scripture hold? All of sin. All of sin. Is that a New Testament concept? Mm-hmm. It's an Old Testament concept. Mm-hmm. He's quoting from Psalms. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None righteous, no, not one. That's not Paul saying that. Paul is quoting the Old Testament. Paul's just using that in his defense of the gospel. So we see Pelagius, and we see him come up, and we see God in his sovereign grace pull up an Augustine, and at that same time come in and say, no, 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 no. Do you realize how fallen we are? 
Now, at the stake of this, if we don't believe that men are fallen, why evangelize at all? What's the point? If, if we're born neutral and we can make these right decisions, then that nullifies the blood of who? It is only through Christ and Christ alone that we can be counted righteous before God. So when you see historic examples of that being violated, Augustine comes in and he's saying, when, when Adam sins, like he makes this distinction between uh, two points. One, to be able not to sin. And two, Adam being created to not be able to sin. And of course, God gave Adam the ability not to sin. Right? So at the fall, what happens, rather than being able not to sin, all people after the fall are not able not to sin. <laughs> like, does that make sense? Like, we have all fallen short because of this. Because of this one man, Adam. But to act as if it's just because of Adam, or if maybe Dustin would have been in that same situation, in that same garden, maybe I would have made a better choice. Maybe if Shirley was in the garden, she would have made a better choice. Maybe if Mark was in the gospel or in the garden, he would have made a better choice. Maybe Landon. I mean, you're a, you're an upstanding young man. I mean, I would say, um, I would I would say you make many a good moral decision. Shane, good grief! I know you do better than me at least. <laughs> Russ might actually. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. <laughs> But to act as if we would have done any better. So it's not just the Adam that we're all corrupted by. It is also, and it's not an either or, it's an and. Like, through Adam's corruption, yes, we too chase after everything other than God apart from Christ. And only in Christ do we find our value, do we find our worth, do we see the price of sin, do we see the cost of sin. It's only in Christ. That we can see the true cost of sin. Like we look through the Old Testament. And like if you read that thing carefully. Okay. Like let's picture this. I, <laughs> this, this can frighten children. Right. Like you, you think of this picture. This family has raised this spotless blemished lamb up. For one purpose. Because they know on the day of atonement they've got to go and present that Precious, spotless lamb on the, or at, into the priest. The priest takes that spotless lamb, perhaps binding his legs by whatever means necessary, takes the knife, whoosh, spotless. And you had to watch it happen. And that was meant to point you to the price of your what? Now, at the cross, Christ is presented as that spotless lamb slain. From the foundation of the world, plan A. Revelation 13, 8. And as he's put forward, you think, he was actually perfect. In the garden, he would not have sinned. He's the only one. He's the only one. 
of anybody we can think or name. Think of the most upstanding role model you know or have seen. They seemingly just didn't sin a lot. They were just good. They were good folks. They would have failed as miserably as Adam. One but crossed. And crossed as our sacrificial lamb slain. Atoning because we've all fallen short. Because of the joy set before him. In agony. Endured the cross despising its shame. Put himself forward. He's not drugged by someone else. The father sends him. He willfully goes. And he presents himself. He says, take me. Because these lambs don't cut it. I want you to see me as your representative. (sighs) Done. We drill nails into his hands. But if that weren't enough, we put a crown of thorns on his head. Because in some level we knew Jesus, King of the Jews. Even their own Sadducees have prophesied over this moment. It would be better that one die. Complete unbelievers says that. And so you see him put himself up. And, and you see him bear the nails. You think of his back. What would that whip have done to that perfect man? What would it have done? Would have ripped out with its shards of glass and iron the flesh off of him. They feed him vinegar in response to his thirst. You see the depth of depravity there. And when we justify sin... You cannot but nullify the price Christ paid. You can't but nullify it. And so, when we see the true price of sin, that is meant to lead us to a true and deep repentance. And, because Christ didn't stay dead, and he rose out of the tomb, a superior Adam that just wasn't given over to death, tasted it for us all, but killed death itself, the death of death at the tomb of Christ, as he rose from the grave, we find at the same time this deep repentance This inexhaustible joy that should exude forth from any messenger that has truly believed and understood this great gospel. So to every Pelagius throughout church history, it says that we are neutral. No. We'd be neutral and we could earn it on our own. Then Christ died for what? For nothing. Because there's, if you, it's a blank slate. Yeah. And you're like every sin is a mark on that slate. That's it. Like, how do you get back to your blank slate? Like, you can't. Because, yeah. like, even an eraser leaves a mark. Like, there's no repent. There's no room for repentance there. As a believer, church, 
you are not made a blank slate. You are made a new creation. And there's a difference. You are loved with the depth of a love. When I see Calvary that I can't put into a thousand sermons in any words. The picture does it all. Yet we're called to use words and to proclaim the good news that not only he died, that we could be forgiven. That's grace alone. That that Christ's sacrifice was total and complete. As our depravity was total and complete, so too our redemption. Because that's how good our God is. Like, through Christ, we have peace with God. And our sin, it shattered that shalom, that peace, shattered it. In our human relationships, internally, externally, everything, in every way, shape, and form. These actions, motivations, thoughts, minds, emotions, our will shatters it. But in Christ, that redemption is full. And one day will be final when he returns to raise the dead. And we will co-reign with him for eternity. It's beautiful. I think like, like one of the things that Pelagian gets wrong there as well is, is we need more than to be clean slaves. The work that Christ did on the cross was not just to... To get us back to neutral. And when I stand before God, not only do I not stand in my sin, but I stand in Christ's obedience. Right? Like, yes. Like, like we're called righteous, we're not called average, right? We're we're righteous, not just clean. Holy and beloved. Christ, in in his obedience through his life and, and his obedience unto death. Like, we're accounted back. So, I, right. when we believe in him, we're not just made blank and, and back at, at zero. Like, we're accounted having finished the, the, the yes. race and won. Yes. Right? Like, the work that Christ, like, when I think of, like, why not just come down, down on the cross and then be done with it? Like, we're accounted his faithfulness in the, in the, Thirty some odd years prior to him ever starting his ministry, when that when 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 they look back and say, "Isn't this the carpenter's yeah. son?" Right? Like we're accounted his righteousness in his day to day work. We're accounted his righteousness in the life that he lived that we don't even see in in scripture. Right? Like like there's there's only the picture that we get. We get a glimpse, a couple of glimpses when he's younger, and then we get when his ministry begins. But there's a full life that he lives in there. Where he lives perfectly righteous before God, and we're accounted that life, like that faithfulness to God in every minor detail of living, whether it's him going to work on a daily basis, the friendships that he had, like we're accounted that, like not just that we were made clean, but that we were righteous in, in every action, um, which I think that's a that's a major failure when we think of like the. Well, yeah. you just—if we were born neutral, we'd have at least have a chance, right? right? There's a whole, there's a there's a mountain needs climbing, and none of us are mountain climbers. Right. Um, so starting at the base of a mountain and not knowing how to climb doesn't give you, you know, any any, any advantage. And that's where the good news of Christ comes in. Yeah. 
We don't have to climb the mountain, man. He came down. And so, as in Adam, all die, so too in Christ, all may live. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Uh, We love you and we thank you for everything you are and do. God, let us rejoice in this good news. Let us be broken over sin. Uh, Let us be confident in the righteousness of Christ. Uh, Let us stand firm in your grace. That is a power uh, to walk in every day. Uh, Let us be... um, Let us be runners into the darkness that have tasted and seen your goodness and light so that when you plant us where you plant us, you use us to testify to the goodness, the good news, the perfection, the excellencies of Christ crucified. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And I ask that you be with Landon now in the sermon, that you would work in him that you would guide him, that you would direct him. Work in each of those children. Lord, I spent the last three days watching you work through kids in a theater. Father, work now through each of them. Their songs be holy and raised to you. And let the message be preached in boldness and compassion, with strength and confidence, with a deep love and affection for you For those, Father, that will be in the audience that may not know you, be with them. God, pour your spirit out through your message preached and open the eyes of the blind. Lord, let us be faithful to the mission you've called us. Lord, let us be thankful that we've received it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.